This week, we are joined by Andy Whiskey, who currently resides in Denver, Colorado. While growing up in Northern California, Andy developed a love of the hospitality and bartending industry from an early age. She has run many of her own businesses from a skateboarding magazine, private event bartending, e-commerce business, and even a luxury barber shop. We talk with Andy how restaurants and bars are evolving into e-commerce businesses, the importance of not only describing the ingredients, but also the flavors and overall experience guests can expect, and the significance of empowering your staff to build a better team. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. I'm the host. My producer, Dan Serretta. How's it going, Dan? Oh, things are going well with me. Uh, no real complaints. Mm. What about you? How are things going? Oh, with I you? got fucking tons of complaints, yes. but uh, <laughs> we need to get into them every week here. Yeah, it's all sure. the same shit. Yeah. COVID hates the service industry. Mm-hmm. And apparently, we're the cause of all the problems. So. That's true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we were joking earlier with somebody that we need to make industry t shirts that just say, hashtag, it's all our fault. <laughs> um, don't be far off. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we'll get some housekeeping out of the way, and then we'll bring in another great guest for you today on the podcast. Um, if you are enjoying what you're hearing on the industry podcast, the easiest way to help us out is to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Um, if you want to be on the podcast, you can DM us at the industry podcast, as our guest today did, actually. Mm-hmm. So, it's proven to work. Perfect. You get, get right on. <laughs> um, and, uh, as always, big shout out to... At Zach Hanna Design for the artwork, and we should also mention, so we haven't in a while, a good the thanks to our friend Aaron Hatchell, who helped with a bunch of the booking and has also delivered some more suggestions that we'll be getting to down the line. So thanks again, Aaron. Mm-hmm. You should follow him on Instagram. He's doing some great cocktail stuff, and he should go back into our archives and listen to our interview with him. Mm-hmm, that and is correct. Many other I ones. Recommend that. Uh, okay, so let's get going here. We'll bring in our guest. It is from Denver, Colorado, Andy Whiskey. Andy, how's it going? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, you know, just well. trying to get through this. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I feel that. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about this podcast. <laughs> um, so talk to us a little bit about the situation in Denver. The, I kind of It's kind of a way we have to start all these podcasts until we're all vaccinated. (laughs) What's the situation in Denver? Are places open? Are you guys on lockdown? What's going on there? It's completely shut down again. Um, We are allowing patio seating, but the going joke right now is um, you are allowed to have outdoor um, like bubbles, like tents and things like that. And so the joke is that now um, COVID is uh, not affecting things if you bring the inside outside. So like we've basically created like outdoor rooms, but no, there's no COVID in there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand that one either. Why is that okay? Like people, we I saw there's one in town here where someone has like a full tent in and they got the heaters on the inside, but it's completely enclosed. So what's the fucking difference? I know. And I feel like it's worse. Like they've got um, the little igloos here because it's cold in Denver and stuff. And so you get these like greenhouses where I'm like, isn't that isn't that worse? Like, isn't that where it multiplies? Like, just put them in a little <laughs> bubble and just keep this little bubble of COVID and just keep putting people in there? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. There's science behind it that we just don't understand, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, so were you working in a restaurant or bar before the lockdown? or? Um, so, uh, interestingly, no. Um, my agency, we work with restaurants and bars, and I moved to Denver during quarantine. And oh. so... I have been in more restaurants than I've eaten in because I've shot photos in the restaurants and worked with the restaurant owners. 
um then yeah and i can't eat in them <laughs> oh great <laughs> yeah uh, and so where were you living before that i just moved to denver from nashville and they, <laughs> they there are articles in the news right now about how like nashville just learns there's a pandemic yeah. um, <laughs> they haven't been doing so great oh man <laughs> Uh, okay, so I want to get into sort of what you're doing at the agency you work at. It, maybe just describe it to the listeners exactly what you guys do and what you do for it. Yeah, totally. It, I mean, it's kind of complex, but so I own two agencies. One of them's commercial photo and video. And prior to this, I did a lot of food and beverage photos and actually still like we're slammed, but did a lot of restaurant food photos and stuff like that, that not so slammed at the moment. But we, I, I have a background in just business. I run so many and private event bartending and e-commerce and so on. And so um, me and my bartender on staff, I've got two people on staff, a manager and a bartender, because um, we shoot so much stuff with liquor. Uh, he and I are starting an agency because we've been working with restaurants to help them make more money right now. It's basically my big push right now is that uh, I ran an e-commerce business for seven years and I realized looking at what's going on with restaurants, I was like, oh my God, you guys are e-commerce businesses now. Uh, this is my realm. This I, I know because you don't have a wait staff that's going to tell your clients, your guests how to order, like what to order, like help them with that ordering process. Everything is virtual online. Uh, so we've been doing audits and like helping people with that and kind of giving them tips with social media management and cocktail menus, all of that. Oh, that's crazy. That's amazing. So I don't want you to give away any free advice here. I know this is how you make a living, but like, can you give us a couple of suggestions maybe for how people can be monetizing during? I'm actually all about the free advice only because I know that restaurant owners don't have the time to do it anyways. So we get hired anyways. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got no problem telling you all my tips and tricks, mm. but, and I, I have been on social media because I, I feel like it's so important. Presentation's everything. Everyone always knows photos are important and that's what I've been kind of a big pusher for. But what people don't understand now is people have to read what your menu items are and they don't sometimes know what the different aspects are. Like they don't have a wait staff that they can go, go like, so what does fennel taste like or something like that, like these little details. And so you really have to do something that restaurants don't normally do and bars as well. You have to be descriptive. People don't really understand the difference between like a spirit forward cocktail or a citrus forward cocktail or, or what they want to order. Like when you go into a bar and a bartender asks you that, they might have the opportunity if you go like, oh, I don't know what that means for them to give an example of what it tastes like or what you might be looking for and how to get you there, where now you have to be super descriptive in your to-go cocktail menu and you have to be super descriptive on your food menus about like, this is going to taste super savory or this place with savory and sweet flavors. And you have to actually just describe things. I spent seven years selling scents online. Like we made men's grooming products. So we had to be super descriptive of like, this smells like oak moss and sage and like all these things. And then describe that oak moss because not a lot of people knew what oak moss smelled like. Describe that it's got some leathery, earthy tones with a little bit of pine and stuff like mixed in there. And so you have to go like a level deeper than what you're used to. Right. So would you say that we're like, as far as the menu goes, you, you were almost moving away from literally describing what the ingredients are, say, telling you what the ingredients are and more to describing a flavor? I think it would help. Definitely. Um, everyone's ordering off Grubhub, DoorDash, Postmates, everything in between. And 
I, I generally know what's in pad thai. I generally know what's in a lot of dishes, but there are a lot of restaurants that are suffering because they get more creative with their menu items. And, you know, again, like some people don't know what fennel tastes like. And some people, you know, don't know what some of those flavor profiles taste like if they go together and all that. And so it's it's better to kind of explain that in a sensory experience kind of way. Tell them how it's going to make them feel or, you know, how it's going to taste for them. Okay, that well, that makes a lot of sense. Talk to me a little bit about how you got into the whole. Uh, like, I know you've done, a, you've run a lot of different kind of businesses, from a skateboard magazine to, like you said, selling scents and whatever. So, how does it always seem to come back to restaurants and bars with you? I'm obsessed with it. I grew up baking and cooking, and I grew up in uh, Northern California, so wine was a big part of growing up too. And so I learned to pair wines with food at a young age. I'm not good at it, but like, it was still something that we did. My parents are like, also not good at it, but they like to think they are <laughs> like, it's, yeah, yeah. they're not, they're not Psalms, but they, they can like, you know, do that. And so when I got older, I was 21. I started my own private event bartending business right out of the gate because I loved creating experiences for people and and like doing the party thing and kind of creating all that for people. And from there, it kind of expanded to always, like all my businesses are about creating experiences for people. But I think in the end, why I always come back to bars and restaurants is because it plays with all five senses. And it's like being in a restaurant, it's all five senses. Like none of my other businesses really relied on that unless we wanted to like try and tie it in somehow. But like, it's, it's a little bit everything. And so you really get to play with how your guests experience what you're trying to provide. And I love that. Yeah, I agree. And do you think that there's going to be a bit of a, like, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this, but if you're like coming out of post COVID now, we've got a much more sterile environment. I know like for places that are still here, we're still open for indoor dining kind of, we're allowed 10 people. But like in other places in Canada, there's lots of places that are still open for in room. Um, in-room dining, but we're also setting up plexiglass everywhere where like servers are coming to your table dressed like stormtroopers. Like, um, are we going to lose some of the sensory experience due I, to the new regulations? Being the ever optimist that I am, I, I think what we're going to see is the, the clever, like the, the more clever restaurants out there will start to pioneer. And I don't know what this looks like yet. I've been trying to like see what happens, but my guess is there will be a trend in finding some way to create that elsewhere. I, cause I, I, some of my favorite restaurants I've been to half of the experience is my interaction with the staff. And I'm waiting to see how bars and restaurants recreate that because you can't now. Like I, I went back to one of my favorite restaurants here in Denver and they also have one in Nashville. And I always go for the staff and just to chat with them because they hire so well at these restaurants. And a hundred percent of the interaction is on an app. Now you buy everything on the app, you mm. order everything. They just bring it out to you and they like barely talk to you. And, um, and that's, that's devastating because that's not what I go there for, but I have a feeling that they will find some way around that. But I think part of it so far has been a lot of these bars are doing virtual classes. And so if you're not the type to sit at a bar and talk to a bartender, you now have that opportunity anyways through these Zooms with the bartenders. So mm -hmm. it's like a little touch of like being able to still experience and see the humanity behind the restaurant because I think that's so important. Yeah, um, I'm really hoping we don't lose that as well. I'm optimistic also that eventually things are going to go back to normal. But right now, it does seem, everything just seems so sterile. I know, like, when I'm going to a table or to 
talk to a guest, it just feels ridiculous. Like we have to wear goggles and a mask and like, oh it's, yeah, it's crazy <laughs> here. So it's, um, yeah, it's literally like you're like, you don't feel like yourself. So it's hard to act like yourself. And then that kind of takes away from the experience that the guest gets to enjoy as well, because a lot of guests do, in fact, come for the, for the staff, like you were mentioning. I, so this is, this is such a strange kind of approach to what I'm about to say, but I, I feel like we always find a way to revert back to what we like, which is interaction with humans one-on-one mm-hmm. um, and interactions with humans in a communal kind of way. And my, like what I kind of lean on is back in, back when Facebook, what was it? 2000, it had to be 2010 when Facebook became such a big thing and there was such a spike and surge in people being online and talking to each other solely on Facebook in LA, where I was living at the time, there was suddenly a huge pop-up of open mic nights everywhere, like in apartment lobbies, on street corners, in front of gas stations, like nuts amounts. And at first I was like, what is going on? And then I realized it was just this huge, massive, like influx of everybody being on computers on Facebook and this feeling of like needing validation to shout to people on the internet but not getting the same feeling as like you do in person. So there was suddenly this like, just yeah, influx. There's, I feel like it was a reaction to that of like needing to be in person and and see that like one on one like kind of response. And I I feel like there will be something like that again. It'll be small. It'll be weird. But it's going to kind of swing things back in that same direction. Yeah, I remain optimistic like you. Like I I like you don't know. Like I have no idea what it's going to be or what it looks like when it gets here. But something like this industry has survived like a lot of different shit over the last hundred years or whatever right and it keeps kicking people still want to go out and socialize they want to go to a nice restaurant they want to go to a bar like i don't i don't see that stopping it's like we just got to get to the other side of the this ridiculous pandemic yeah and i I, and what's interesting too is i don't see the demand going away it's going to go in different directions like now it's going to go service but i people still want that restaurant interaction and they don't want to cook at home Um, and like, they still want their cocktails, but they can barely make them at home for themselves. They think they can. Um, (laughs) it's not the same. So I think, um, to go cocktails are going to definitely continue to be a thing, which are those a thing in Canada? Uh, yeah, we can do it now. It it wasn't a thing before the pandemic, but they've loosened some of the restrictions. I I guess throwing us a bone a little bit, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) so places are doing it. I don't, I feel like it hasn't really taken off, at least here. Like, I know some places are doing it, like restaurants and bars are doing it, but I don't know if the demand is really there for it yet. I I do think a lot of people just figure, like, I can make a cocktail at home. Right. And that's, um, there's a huge, I think almost every bar has those here, and they continue to grow because they have seen success. Um, and at least in Denver, I've seen a lot of it in Nashville too, but, um, gosh, I did, I got to go cocktails and then went and drank in a park multiple times this summer. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's another thing that I'm kind of pushing some of the restaurants that I work with and some of the distilleries that I work with to do more of, because it's, I mean, the margins are great. And what I've seen too are for holidays, gift boxes. One of the restaurants that I work with, um, they're, they're brilliant. They have these gift boxes that include these cute little glasses with the homemade cocktails and, um, little things like that. Cause like they get glasses for the cheap. So like, why not just sell those with it? Right. And, Cause people want like the rocks glasses or the Nick and Nora's at home or something. Yeah. I think the glassware angle would be a good one as well. And also like bitters, maybe like throwing in a bottle of bitters. My wife actually, um, yes 
threw that idea by me today. I thought it was pretty good. Um, okay, so I want to just talk, like hone in a little bit more on your specific business here. Like if a bar or restaurant hires your agency, what do you like walk us through the process of what you go in there and do for them? It does depend um, on what they want. Like typically in like a not pandemic world, we would be providing cocktail menus and branding with the bar. Like we specifically work with bars. We can do restaurants, but we bring in more revenue for bars right now. Time is weird. And so what we do is basically an audit of what are your current, like, wh- what are you doing currently to, for your bar? Because it's not what it was before. It's not like people are coming in ordering drinks at your bar. Like, it's a different mm-hmm. world. And so what are you currently doing to bring in revenue? And we audit it going like, okay, I mean, you've got DoorDash, but, like, it's not really doing anything. And this is why. Like, your photos suck. Your descriptions of cocktails suck. Like, let's let's mix that up. Um and then looking at like, are there cute labels on the cocktail jars? Cause we have a graphic designer who um, designs those if you need it. And then um, the social media aspect, obviously we have a studio, we do all the photography ourselves. And so when we create a cocktail menu, we can also shoot it in our studio. We have like everything we need to kind of make it look like your bar's brand and vibe, but shoot it in studios. So like, we don't have to bring anyone into your bar at the moment. Um, and then you have social media content to post out there because that's the thing is like, a lot of bars are like, we have a to-go menu for our cocktails, but they're just not selling. I'm like, okay, but who have you told that you have them? Like, you don't have people coming into your bar at the moment. You have to put it on social media. Right. And and, and that's a lot of bars are, they're doing a decent job compared to what they did previously, but their social media is still like, it's not where it could be. Like, it's it's loud right now. Everyone's on Instagram. And so you have to get kind of savvy with it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like when I was first starting the bar industry, this wasn't even a thing. And now it's you can't live without it. Like, yes, every day is but I, I'm not good at it. But I have to try to get good at it. You know, you're kind of like in the process of trying to get better at it all the time, because it's really a huge part of your business now. It is even even pre COVID. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I ran a luxury barbershop in Nashville. And I put it in a warehouse in the middle of an industrial park across from a cemetery in the middle of nowhere. And everyone's like, you need foot traffic. What are you doing? And I was like, bet like, no, I, I, I got this. And we were booking people two months in advance before we opened. Uh, we wow. we were so huge, but it's because I know social media and mm. I know branding. So yeah, I, I ran the barbershop and everyone said I needed foot traffic, uh, but I, with social media, we booked everybody out like so quickly. And what it was that I think bars and restaurants need to learn is two things. Uh, One, we told them what the experience was going to be. We didn't post the before and after haircuts like every barbershop out there does. Mm -hmm. We showed them photos of people in the chair drinking whiskey because we served whiskey with every service and chilling with our barbers and showed our barbers smiling and laughing with the clients. And we showed our space to them. And I think that's half of the battle is the social anxiety of I'm about to go into the space with a bunch of strangers. What's that going to feel like? Mm -hmm. And... I think bars and restaurants sometimes do a great job of this, but could do a better job of just showing what the experience is going to be like there. Like, yes, cocktail photos are really good for going like we have a new cocktail, come order. It's beautiful. But you also need to show people experiencing your restaurant or bar. And um, that's something that we push really hard. And so thing number two that I know bars and restaurants don't do well because it's terrifying um, is we empowered our barbers 
by showing their faces on everything and talking about them, like come in and see Liz, come and see so-and-so because in barbershops, they're like bars in that a lot of them get a little terrified to put the barbers out there because they worry that the barber's going to leave because it's high turnover and that clients are going to go with them. And it's very similar in bars. I've talked to bar owners and they're like, why would I put Boone's face on our Instagram? Because he could like, he could quit anytime. Bar bartenders leave all the time. My argument is they're probably going to leave sooner if you don't give them some like ownership in what they're doing behind the bar for mm -hmm. one thing. And for two, if they leave, if you have a strong enough team culture, like someone's going to be like, oh shoot, there's a spot at this bar. I'm going to, I'm going to work there. That happened for us. We, we created such a team culture on social media that we had such this vibe that when we lost our top barber, so we had other barbers clamoring to take over the spot. And so a lot of, a lot of bar owners that we've talked to have this fear of doing that. And, and my argument just is that if you create this team culture and this vibe of your place that really focuses on your team, you're going to want more people or you're going to get more people that want to be a part of your team. And why that's such a big deal with social media, going back to the original point right now, is all of those bartenders are sitting at home becoming Instagram bartenders right now and growing social media followings. And the minute you start posting them on your bar social media, like when you hire them back or whatever, uh, and you're like, so-and-so is behind the bar tonight making up his cocktail that he put on the menu for us. Uh, and you tag him, which most bars are scared to do because it gives some, you know, form of like, I don't know, ownership to this bartender, but then they repost it because they now have thousands of followers that love them for bartending and they're going to come. And it's, we've got this very unique situation building right now that if bars kind of turn and look to their team more, it, it actually is going to help a ton because bars are not good at the social media, but bartenders are sitting at home getting super good at it right now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what everybody's doing. And I think you're right. Like when we come back, if if you do happen to have one of those bartenders or servers who've been doing a lot of their own Instagramming at home, that would be a huge draw. Uh, what are some other things that like outside? I know this is sort of your specialty, but just while we've got you on the topic, what are, do you have any other suggestions of what a bar can do to give ownership to their staff and make them feel like more of a part of the team and less like an employee? Yes, totally. Um, Oh, so, God, I'm glad I asked that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like it's our it's our mission for like what we do because uh, like I said with my barbershop, it was something that we did so differently. Um, it, barber shops are almost more um, everyone for themselves than bars because they're also on contract typically. Um, and right. we, uh, when I started, I was like the team comes first, not the client, not the business. The team comes first every time, and like my barbers initially were like, yeah, okay. Sometimes people say that. And then when I started like 86 in clients who made them uncomfortable, they're like, okay, we get it. Like the minute they came in were like, this guy like touched my hand weird and stuff like that. I'm like, cool. We don't need his money. Um, and so that's just like an example, but like teaching bars and bar owners to kind of and GMs, which is sometimes the hard part, but to really just start with the mentality of team comes first it starts to change things. Like if somebody comes and complains about like something about like a cocktail menu being too difficult to make for like, you know, quickly, like the, the idea, and that's actually like a very specific instance, but what I'm trying to get at is the bartenders are the ones interfacing with the guests. And if bar owners and GMs really put their focus on helping them do their job best and making them come first, they're going to put the client first 
when they do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, cause it's, I'm as the barbershop owner, as the bar owner, I'm not the one interfacing with the guests. I don't have control of that ex- experience at that point anymore, but I do have control of making my team feel empowered to do that. And so, um, and that whole idea goes back to uh, a military idea in the U S is called commander's intent. Commanders are, are told in the military to give their commander's intent to their units so that the unit's empowered to go like, okay, I know where we're going with this. It's now my job to get us there. The commander will sometimes say exactly how to do it, but also like, you know, that plan might go to shit in the process. And so they still know where we're going with it. And I think bars could really do a lot better to kind of just be a little vulnerable with their team because that's what it feels like sometimes to like give that, like, this is where we're going um, Mm. to your employees, but like be that little bit of vulnerable to be like, this is where we're headed. This is what we need to do to get there. Um, And just give that commander's intent to their team and give their team ownership of making that happen. Uh, A lot of, I mean, a lot of businesses see a lot more success that way. Well, I I love this idea because personally at my bar, I would much rather behave like a militaristic general. So (laughs) (laughs) that's right up my alley. I'm going to start giving orders like crazy. No, I think I, I get your point, though. And that's um, I think that I like your um, idea about sort of having like the owner creates the vision and then allows the staff to get to that vision. However, however, they do. They they see fit in their own creative sort of ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think a quick question. Is that, is that a lot easier with smaller operations, though, than like a much larger operation oh. that might have, like, say, 20 or 30 bartenders on staff? I love that question. Um no, because no. Uh, the bar and restaurant that I'm, uh, the chain that I'm like super obsessed with, they have tons of bartenders. And the, the thing is, they have a location in Nashville, D.C., Boston, Charlotte, and here in Denver and a couple others, Atlanta. Oh, wow. um, and I can walk into any one of them knowing I'm going to get the same experience. And it feels like a small bar. It really does. It's right. they're they're beautiful, but the culture is amazing. And that's just basically what they have focused on is building that culture. I, I talked to the GM and he's now, um, the VP of marketing for the entire company, but I talked to the GM back when he was in Nashville. I was like, dude, Drew, how do you find these people? Because like the one in Denver has all the same people, like, what do you guys do? And he's just like, I just make sure that at the end of the day, it's someone that I would want to get a drink with, but also they're going to listen to me and respect me. I was like, all right, well, that's that's great when you say it like that, but like, help me out here. And he never really did, but like something they're doing with, I still like, I nerd out over it and I'm trying to figure it out, but something they're doing, it really does put the team first. They they always have their family meals. They always work together to the point where at Na- uh, the Nashville location, I became part of the inner family, but like all the bartenders there, they were family. Like they operated that way. And not only that, but they are family with the ones in Denver. When I moved out here, they texted people out here and were like, hey, she's one of us. Take care of her. Really? And <laughs> all I was was a guest. Like that's insane. That's great. Um, so th- to answer your question, I've seen it work on a bigger level. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I, I mean, honestly, I think that's a terrific idea. Can you give us any, I mean, I don't want to like, we don't have to belabor the point or anything, but can you, um, are, are, what are some other examples of like, what else can we do to be bringing staff together and giving them ownership outside of, I mean, that's sort of a broad, um, a broad framework, your uh, military example, but like what's maybe something more specific? Um, so with my businesses in the past, sometimes giving them numbers to work towards so that they have 
something tangible. And that's super hard as a business owner, but something tangible to work towards. It feels super vulnerable, but sometimes it's like, Hey guys, so this is how many tables we turn over in a night. Let's get it here. Um, and then talking about like the different ways to get there, but just giving them something. And then like, from there you have to track it and you have to go like, cool. We went from like 40 in a night to 45 this past week. Like, let's Mm -hmm. keep going. And, um, so that's one way that we've approached it. Um, another is it's, it's such a simple idea, but it's listening and, and being active in listening and having regular meetings where you're like, Hey guys, so like what didn't work this week? Like, let's, let's talk about that. And as a business owner, I know how much that sucks. Um, it's, you have to get super vulnerable and it's really hard sometimes too, for the team to initially open up. And so you have to also like understand that some of them are not going to want to do it in a group setting. So you have to be the kind of business owner where they feel comfortable talking to you outside of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's hard because also you're busy and you don't have time to listen to their gripes about Liz and Julie fighting again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing I find too is like, I am, a, I am actually a proponent of like frequent meetings with the staff. But the problem that I've always run into is the staff, not so, not so fucking much. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't really want to be dragged in on their day off or an hour before their shift starts or whatever. Like, because a lot of them are looking at it more like a job than a career or a family or what have you. So right. how do you get, how do you get over that roadblock? Um, two things. One, I don't care. They're going to come in and they're going to be part of the family anyways. Yeah. <laughs> like, um it's i and i i tell people um like the restaurants and stuff uh and like anyone who comes to me for business advice and they're like well i mean some of my team they don't they don't want to play with the team i'm like cool find new team members right um and that's that used to be hard for bars but now it's not you have just this massive pool to employ from like it's it's what's going to be interesting is you have a better pick because the good ones are going to rise to the top and you have like all of these employees to pick from. And so you have the chance to kind of be selective and find the team players who really like everyone really wants a job right now, but there are going to be people who are going to fight a little bit harder for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that, answered the question. Yeah, that that pretty much did it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, I think you're right. That's fair. At the end of the day, there are going to be a lot of people looking for, um, and this is harsh to say, but there's going to be a lot of people in the industry who are out of work and looking for work. And we're going to be able to be a little bit uh, pickier about who we want on our team. So you, you you have a better chance of getting team players, I guess. Yes. But like, and then though, what happens and what's beautiful about what's about to happen, there are good things that are going to come from this is so you can be selective now. You can hire the best ones that are going to create the best culture for your business. And then when it comes time where cool, you're growing now you need to hire more and you're gonna have to pull from ones that maybe you would be less inclined to go with before. Now they have to play ball because everybody who's been employed is playing at a higher level. So they need to step up their game. Mm-hmm. And, um, so everyone's going to just basically, yeah, step up their game. It's right now they need to. And so it, it's going to get better. And I think, um, that's definitely going to be part of it. And I think after this too, everyone's going to want to be part of a team. Everyone's going to realize that, <laughs> Being the lone wolf and isolated really sucks. Yeah, I hope you're right. Yeah, I think, and I do think that there are good things that are going to come out of this whole shit sandwich we're in right now. But um, yeah, and I think maybe that is one of the things that it's going to draw people together, feel more like a family, really appreciate being able to um, be around other employees and guests again (laughs) until you get that one shitty it. But yeah, exactly. (laughs) uh, I I wanted to. dial it back again to what you were mentioning earlier though about 
um, the vulnerability of the ownership. Speaking as a bar owner myself, what? Why is it that we're so territorial about numbers? Like, what fucking difference does it make if my staff knows? how many tables we turned over the night before, what the sales were. I don't know why we always feel the need to keep that so secret. It's, yeah, it's super weird. And I I don't know either because it makes me super uncomfortable. Um, I think it's because, um, and okay, this might be it too, uh, the failures and successes, like we, as business owners, you don't feel the successes. That that you have to give to the team, but the failures you have to own every time. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you're always the villain. If something goes wrong, you have to own it. And so when you get vulnerable with those numbers, if everybody doesn't reach it in the very end, you're like, yeah, okay, that's my fault. And you have to be like, you, if you mm-hmm. don't, if you're like, guys, we need to get to 50 tables turned over and you hit 30 one week, you're like, you, you can't turn around to the team and be like, what the fuck guys? Like it's, right. that's, that's on you. Well, yeah. Cause that, I think that there's, I, I speaking for myself, at least I, I certainly feel that way like when i open a place i'm just like if it doesn't succeed it's just there's this this level of like embarrassment about that and like shame because my idea was shit or but even though it might not have anything to do with that sometimes it's like something is completely out of your control like i don't know a pandemic but um (laughs) (laughs) just for an example but like you still feel it like i still feel even going through this pandemic here we're having shitty numbers now i still feel like what am i doing wrong even though i know it's not my fault you know yeah, I think the, another part of it is I, I this may turn over with the new generation of owners coming up. I'm old enough that like I grew up, but that that's what we were taught. Like you don't tell your mm-hmm. staff the numbers, the sales, because then they're going to talk about those sales numbers around town. And then people are going to judge you or uh, based on those numbers. And, and but, but really, who gives a fuck? Like I like it. The more I think about it, I, what does it matter? Yeah, it, it doesn't. And then too. what's what's so interesting about it is when you get that kind of vulnerable and you do that you start to win more than everybody else anyways and so it creates this weird thing where it's like people talk about it like cool let them you've now set the bar where everyone else is like shoot they're doing like 40 tables a night why are we not doing 40 tables a night and then they start to try and it's this um what what hopefully it creates and what i've seen sort of is this synergy of like suddenly everybody's like trying to step up their game because they know the numbers as soon as you know the numbers it gets more competitive. I know that within my own entrepreneurial circles, I learned that somebody who's running um, a studio, a photo studio similar to mine, I learned his numbers and immediately I was like, oh shit, I got to step up my game. But like, Mm. it wasn't like to like shit on him or uh, like anything or like even like be envious. I was like, cool. I know that's possible. Now like game on, let's go. No, it's friendly (laughs) competitiveness and that's great for the industry in my opinion. But I also feel like uh, the other thing about it is the numbers that you hear around town, there's so much of it's just bullshit anyway. Like yeah. there's an old saying in professional wrestling that we always like to hark back to professional wrestling on this show. But um, back, it's that, back when it was real. Yeah. Yeah. When it was real. Uh, that uh, I'll, I'll just um, alter it slightly to get to what we're talking about. It's like tele- telegram, telephone, tele server. Because it's like, you know, like by the time it gets to bar six down the street, the numbers have been so skewed or the story has been so skewed, whether it's um, gossip or talk about numbers or seat turnovers or whatever, that it's all, all the numbers are bullshit by the time it gets to them anyway, and usually inflated in a good way for you. Yeah. Like I was hearing these stories of, oh, so-and-so made like $600 in tips last night. And I'm like, what? How's that even possible? (laughs) Yeah. 
No, no, exactly. And that's, that's part of it too. And it's, it has a business owner. It's hard. You just have to get like a thick skin about some of it because you, you have to realize like you're playing a different game than everybody else and you always will be. And everyone always thinks that, okay, by giving these numbers to, and here's actually part of the struggle of it is by sharing these numbers, they're going to get it. And they're going to know like that that's, that's what we're aiming for. And they don't, it's still just a job, but it still gives them something tangible to hold on to and go like, okay, cool. Five more tables. Like, let's go. Like, and it, it, again, like, if you've built the right culture, it makes it more team oriented because it kind of builds that game out of it of like, yeah, cool, like together, like let's go. Little goals for them, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. That makes sense. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit as well because you do the private bar events. Uh, sorry, how do you describe it specifically? Uh, yeah, I, I used to run the private event bartending business. Yeah, see, I was close. <laughs> doing that combined with what uh, you're doing now, talk to us a little bit about what you think goes into providing the perfect sensory experience at a place? Like, what are all the factors that you have to nail? Oh, man, that's a big question. Well, that's what we're here for, Andy. We're not fucking around. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's a marriage of, of it's always substance and aesthetics. Uh, on, on one of the previous episodes, I was listening to you guys um, talk about whether or not garnishes were important. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I was laughing because I think they are, but I, I, they're not just for aesthetic purposes. My, my beverage director is a huge proponent of using garnishes for aromatics and they always have to have a purpose. Like they're not just there to be pretty, but also aesthetics are important. Mm. You are selling. And like, it was, it was important before in bars, somebody would see a drink come out and go like, what is that? I want that. Like, I don't even, don't even tell me what it is. Like, give me one of those. Mm. Um, and you want to sell more of those, especially if it's something with a high margin. And so make those high margin drinks pretty. High margin drinks are usually not that special, but just make them pretty. But it, it's that marriage of all, all five senses. Like visual is definitely important, but the taste has to be there. It has to really like fulfill that kind of promise that it initially gave. And, and then part of it too is like all of the, all of the senses are very important. So I have tried to open a coffee shop. You want to talk about failed businesses. I've tried twice. I would be shocked if you hadn't tried to open a coffee shop. (laughs) (laughs) I had, yeah, landlord screwed me over on my last one. I lost something like 40 K. Yeah. It hurt. Uh, A lot of fucking beans. It is. But then, so with coffee shops, when I went to open my coffee shop, I got nerdy about it. And this is just about the the experience, the sensory experience that's important. I got like compulsively nerdy about it. I went, I flew back to California where I went to college and grew up and I started in Northern California and worked my way down through the state and went to every coffee shop that was my favorite growing up. And then all the coffee shops in the area that I didn't go to, to sit in the coffee shop and go, why did I like this one? Why did I not like this one? And, and I'm just one customer. I'm not all the customers, but I know my buying choices and I know how much money I spend in a coffee shop. And I went in and I was like, what? I made notes. I have a notebook. And I was like, what color are the walls? How loud is the music? How loud is the like conversations that are going on? Did the barista smile at me? How much was the add-on of almond milk versus like just regular milk? And wow. that's, um, that's great research, though. Honestly, I'm impressed that you like anyone who, to put that kind of time into it. It's nutty. Well, things that I found was I liked walls that weren't cool colors. I liked warmer tones. Those places I stayed longer and paid more money. And I liked places that had couches, but I never sat in the couches. And I <laughs> loved places that had pillows, but I would never sit in the chairs with pillows. But if there were pillows there, I would go to those places and work longer and spend more money and usually buy food on top of the coffee. 
But wow, that's so weird. I just, not to cut you off, but like, I mean, I I totally know where you're coming from with that. Why do you, why do you think that happens to people? Like, what is subconscious. it? Subconscious. Like, yeah, it's subconscious. That's so weird, though. Like, yeah, that you would notice. Like, but the fact that you pulled that out is like, wow, I really like that couch that I'm never gonna sit on. Yeah. yeah no. Exactly. Kind of no. Sorry. Continue. I just I just found well, that really cool. No, that's that's totally it, and it's it's totally subconscious because like I found um it was a pattern that kept emerging. I made all these notes. And then after like 10 or 15 coffee shops, I was like, okay, the ones I spent the most money on, they had, I made notes that they had couches with pillows and had warm walls. And it was just that in, I spent more money because I stayed longer or I knew the minute I walked in, I was going to stay longer. And so it's kind of just being the, the phrase I've come up with is obsessively intentional. So like all of the decisions you make in running a bar or a restaurant or a coffee shop, you have to think about like, why are the walls this color? Like my, my barber shop, much to my barber's chagrin, I painted the walls warm colors, not too warm. Um, they don't like it because it reflects color into the hair. So if we did color, it would be a problem. But I changed the ceiling panels so that they were these soft, beautiful like ceiling panels because the guys, when they were being shaved or getting their hair washed, they were staring up at the ceiling. And it was just like a little detail where I was like, if they're staring at the ceiling, I want them to still feel like it's a luxurious shop. So I, the ceiling panels are beautiful. It was just being intentional. If somebody walked in to the shop, this is silly, but with BO, the girls knew to light a candle after they left because <laughs> the sensory experience of the barbershop was just as important as everything else. We wanted people to come in and it to smell good because we smelled scented or we sold scented products. And mm -hmm. if the shop smelled bad, why would they buy a scented product from us? Right, exactly. You're not walking into a place that smells like body odor and being like, oh, how do you get this smell? Yes. What, can you sell it to me? And <laughs> Howard Schultz of Starbucks was nerdy about scent like that too. When they first came out with their food items and they put it through the little ovens, it smelled like burnt cheese in all the Starbuckses. In one of his books, he talked about, I think it's one of his books or somebody's biography of him. Um, he walked into a Starbucks for the first time after they launched that and it all he smelled was burnt cheese and he freaked out and was like, take those off the menu. No Starbucks is selling those anymore until we figure out. And they went and he had like freaking scientists, food scientists, design these sandwiches so that it wouldn't smell like burnt cheese when they made them because the coffee shop had to smell like coffee. And when people walked in, it had it was not it was not a cafe, it was not a sandwich company, it was a coffee shop. Right, and, uh, you know, and that goes for everything too. Like I, like you know, you know, if you ever walk into a place that uses a deep fryer, right? Like the whole place smells like yes. deep fried something, right? And, and what are you going to order? The fried food. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So if that's what you're gunning for, great. But if you're trying to make a nicer place, yes. and you like, I never understood. The places that like were set up like a nice cocktail lounge, but also sold sold deep fried food because that's all you smell when you go in there, yes. and it just it it automatically cheapens the place with a layer of grease. Yeah, one of my favorite cocktail bars they sold steamed broccoli as an appetizer, and I I would I like why? that's not a good yeah. smell for a bar. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I, this is pretty, this is coming out pretty clearly uh, by talking to Andy, but like, obviously you're very detail oriented and I'm assuming that that kind of empowers everything you're doing with, with your consulting, right? Is that the key is in the little details? It is. And it's, it's, and that's what I'm there for is as a restaurant owner, like as a business owner, I, 
I don't love using my e-commerce business as an example because I knew the details were not good because I didn't hire out and I kept it to myself, but I had so much stuff to do that I never got around to the little details. And now I look back and I'm like, I should have changed everything. Like there were so many things I would redo. And so that's kind of what we're there for is to be like, Hey, so you know that it smells like steamed broccoli in your cocktail bar. Like, let's talk about what we can do about this because it's something that they don't have the time to think about. And so really we're there to pay attention to the details that they they just you have so much just inundating you day in and day out like you don't have the chance to go over that stuff. No, it's true. I like to think that I'm oriented with the details, but uh, to be honest with you, like as an owner, I have so much else going on just trying to keep the doors open on the place. Yes. Like I there's stuff that slips by me and it can be little things and like I mean my wife's pretty good about rolling through the bar and telling me like little things like oh did you know there's candle wax dripping here or whatever and I like wouldn't have even noticed it or but that's what your agency can do for a place yeah and that's that's what we're there for is because that really shouldn't be your concern and that's why we're so team oriented because you know who did notice that but didn't do anything because they weren't empowered to do anything about it is the bartenders right and so that's when I would blow into my barbershop sometimes after like being out for two weeks and see all these little details where I'm like why is this like this I'd be like shoot I didn't, I didn't give them commander's intent. I didn't tell them that it needs to smell good in here always because we smell or we sell scented mm-hmm. products and I need to emphasize that more. And so I can empower them to do that. And then after that little detail of me just being like, hey guys, it needs to smell freaking good in here so that they buy that beard oil from you so you get that product commission, which again, giving them the goal as to why they want to do that. They're going to make more money if they do that. Um, but then once I did that, they always had stuff lit, burning, whatever in there. They were always just making sure it smelled good. Yeah, no doubt. So if you're, um, when you were doing the, um, the private event bartending, uh, how did you go about creating unique experiences for each party that you were throwing? Like, would it be something where you're interacting with whoever the guests in advance and trying to figure out what they want? Or do you provide a specific experience where they tailored for each uh, event? So my my current beverage director would be able to answer that better because he's now doing that virtually and he's well unfortunately we don't ladder. have him with us Andy I, so you're yeah, gonna yeah, no, no no I got you <laughs> so back back in the day when I was doing that um, I would bartend like parties in Hollywood and San Diego for like game designers and and actors and screenwriters um, I mean like I bartended parties with like Elijah Wood and Rashida Jones and like all these famous actors and stuff and what I would do ahead of time is. The only person that mattered to me in those situations was the host, because usually it was like the Fox screenwriter's birthday or mm. the big time game developer's wedding or something like that. And so I'd be like, hey, man, who are you trying to impress? Figure out their cocktails. And also, what is your favorite cocktail? And then um, because I never ran it as a catering business, they would always have to buy the alcohol. But I would tell them, like, I would create the cocktail menu and tell them exactly what to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and that kind of just especially because planning any kind of event, they're stressed. I would just take as much off their plate as possible and be like, go to this store, buy exactly this. They have it. That's what you need. This amount of this, this amount of this. I'm going to come with the rest of the stuff, like ice tools, all the things. Um, And then, uh, yeah, creating the cocktail menu to, like, first, the host is the most important, but also if there's somebody they're trying to impress in the process, be like, hey, man, you got any friends that really like a certain type of cocktail? Like, let's talk, like, what's what is their favorite cocktail? Like, let's make them super happy. So then when Joe shows up to the party and I already have his gimlet ready, oh my God, like yeah. I just made his night. Oh, people <laughs> love that shit. Everybody yeah. just wants to feel like they're important, right? That's exactly. that's pretty much the entire game we're running here. I have two follow-up questions based on that. One, 
Like, can we talk, because we just haven't done it on this show before. Can we talk a little bit about ice and the importance of ice? <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> super, super nerdy about that. Um, okay, good. Me too. <laughs> oh, no. Like, I feel like this is one of those polarizing things where some people have, like, completely different opinions on it. Um, mm -hmm. What's so funny, too, is I hate clear ice. Um, oh, really? As a photographer, because oh, okay. it does it, what it photographs like is you just dumped the entire like quarter of a bottle of whiskey into a glass instead oh, of like, yeah. you know, the effect is trying to create. But when you hand it to a customer, what do you want them to think that you just dumped a quarter of a bottle yeah, of whiskey? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is like, how important do you feel that specific ice for specific cocktails is? For instance, like if you're making an old fashioned, you're going to want a giant cube and maybe you want a clear one that looks cool or whatever. Like, does that, do, do, are those the kind of details that matter to you as well? Yes, because whatever can make the guest feel special and, and that's it is if they didn't order a king cube and they just got it and they're used to going to the dive bar down the street that just dumps a bunch of rocks in there. Mm -hmm. They suddenly realize that this like $15 cocktail they just bought is worth $15. Yeah. And it's it's a minor, like, yeah, you have to pay a little bit extra to get that specialty ice, but it's a minor thing. I, When it comes to branded ice, I would only recommend that to, like, my more luxury cocktail bars that we work with. They tried to get my barbershop to do branded ice, and I'm like, I don't know what kind of barbershop you think we are, but, like, we're kind of <laughs> <hair> here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that I, I, I appreciate the ones that do that, but I don't think that's for every bar. But I do think going with the King Cube to elevate the experience for some bars is important. I just, it's like tiers of bars. Like, again, it's like the demographic you're going for. And how much your cocktail is. Like, if you're trying mm. to create a cocktail menu with $15 cocktails on there, then, yeah, like, let's talk about, like, what you're doing to make it feel that way for your clients. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And uh, to be honest with you, if you're not, if that's not what you're going for, don't be the dive bar that's selling, like, $2, $2 Coors Light and then having, like, a clear giant yeah. ice cube like it does go with no. what fits your bar and everything's okay all yeah. bars are good right like, yeah dump some rocks in there and call it good yeah <laughs> i went to uh the bar and nightclub convention in vegas one year and i got sold on this fucking thing <laughs> this ice maker it's like they it was essentially i i'm sure you've seen them like you kind of push down on the top oh, and, yes and, and it puts into a mold but they, it never comes out right no. like they, they would make spheres one made a diamond we i bought i had sold on one that made a diamond <laughs> oh my god I, I, yeah i i so the only it made a only... stalactite is what it made <laughs> right the only bars i think should carry those are distilleries yeah. Um, I think because they, they're, when somebody goes to a distillery, they're looking for craft shit that's unique right? and, and you have to work real hard to be unique because you're also not a cocktail bar and you don't with distilleries, at least here in the States, you can't serve other alcohols behind your bar. You have to make everything yourself as far as the liqueurs go. And, which isn't hard mm. for distilleries, but you still don't have like the bar, like you don't have the options other bars have to make things fancy or whatever. So yeah, go that extra mile. Like I work with a lot of distilleries and they have that and it's part of the experience. And also like they're not moving volume like bars are. Yeah. Like, when do you have time to sit for 10 fucking minutes to watch this ice melt? Well, that's the thing. And we thought we were going to like pre-make them and then store them. But then <laughs> even like that was, I would have to literally pay someone for a full day of prep. Just doing yeah. that, making stupid yes. stalactite cubes <laughs> that were supposed to look like a diamond. 
Um, the other question I want to ask you about your uh, private bartending, <laughs> since you brought it up, is who uh, who was the biggest asshole you threw a party for? Oh, oh, I don't, I can't. Can I? Uh, yes, I could say because it doesn't matter, and they're not going to listen to your podcast. You're in the that's camera. that's true. That's very he true. You can, a... check, you can check the numbers. <laughs> 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 but he was a former governor in North Carolina, and they were stingy as hell, and they would not let. They specifically told their guests not to tip me. Wow. Um, yeah, and they argued over the price of everything. Because, um, like, usually, I don't mind not being tipped, but to specifically tell your guests don't, and then like, mm. I mean, the guests had to be all secretive. Like, they'd come over and they're like, "We love what you." doing like just just hide this and they'd like put it under the glass and like hide it <laughs> like and stuff like, you're, like, like your uncle giving you birthday money yes 100 <laughs> it was just pretty weird yeah. um but that one was super unpleasant because they would come over and like oh they treated me like they're like house servant and i was like uh, i am serving i'm the life of your fucking party right now like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> back off man <laughs> oh that's yeah that's crazy um I, it's funny, I, I always wondered about that. Did you find that a lot when you were throwing the private parties where they kind of like, because they had hired you, it's almost like there's, people started looking at you as like their full house servant for the whole uh, day when really it's like, yes. no, you hired me to do this. That's what I'm here to do. Yes, and my ego just would not have it. I was <laughs> <totally> like... <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I uh, I've even noticed that like, if, if I ever had to like bartend or DJ a wedding or something like that, it all of a sudden like they see you at a wedding and you're working there. Even if I'm specifically even well, you know from DJing weddings, like even Dan, sorry, not you, Andy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I sometimes forget the the listeners can't see us. Yes. Um, but <laughs> that like because they've hired you in that in the context of their wedding, etc. All of a sudden you're there to do whatever they ask you to do. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm not here to wipe your fucking kid's runny nose. I'm here to play the shitty song you just requested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so and that's why I stopped bartending. I stopped bartending and photographing weddings back in like 2010. Like I had, I did enough to be like, oh, this is not my jam. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to give up on both bartending and DJing weddings. But well, you still do. Do you still do weddings ever? I just for friends. Just for friends. So you, no, no weddings. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, it's been great talking to you, Eddie. Is there anything that you can maybe give us as sort of like a parting gift of like, I, I know I don't want you to dip into a slogan or anything like that, but like something that you can give to bars, owners, employees, however you want to play it as uh, great advice to just sign off on for how to, how to create an amazing experience at their place, how to build a team or how to get through this COVID nonsense, what to do on the other side, take it wherever you want. So for bartenders, if you're not using this time to elevate your game, you're doing it wrong. There's so much on Instagram to learn how to step up as a bartender that like you need to make yourself absolutely invaluable to the bars and bars. If you don't realize that there are bartenders that are doing that, you are doing it wrong. Like find those bartenders that are just trying to become like the experts at their craft and bring them in and tell them you hired them as the expert. So let them be the expert behind the bar. Let them own that. And that, that's it. Like that's, that's the game right now. <laughs> Well, I think you're right about that. And I'm, gonna, I'm certainly going to take your advice because I just got a bunch of free advice. This was great. Uh, <laughs> and don't expect a check. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to take a lot of your advice and put it to work in my own place and any place that I deal with in the future. Because I, I really agree with you that the whole 
empowering your staff and building a team uh, that's vital and uh and maybe i it's a good reminder that i should be doing a little bit more of that so thank you for that and thanks for uh joining us here this has been great talking to you we really appreciate your time yeah thanks so much for having me and giving me a reason to have a beer on a sunday night <laughs> yeah like you need a reason <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks again andy all right have a be good safe. one okay thanks